Welcome back to Thinking About It. We're glad that you're joining us. I'm Bob McGregor. And I'm Stan Fowler. And uh, we are thinking about evangelism. I think we should always be thinking evangelistically. That's worth thinking about. But uh, quite often in the course of a conversation on evangelism, uh, people will talk about, well, I need um, arrows in my quiver. I need arguments. I need to be able to um, just go for the jugular in the course of a contentious debate and bring someone to the mat. And I, I think that there's a place for um, responding to typical arguments. Uh, I think sometimes the church or evangelists so-called, even just church members in general, rely too heavily on those arguments. And Stan, I wanted to talk today about the the need, the, the command for uh, believers to go about evangelism in a way that we're not really that well instructed in, but a way that has more to do with our, our character and our winsome ways. So let's spend a few minutes talking about the need to be evangelistically living as well as evangelistically speaking. Well, that's definitely worth talking <coughs> about. When, uh, when you and I first agreed this was a topic worth talking about. I, I, th- I thought immediately of two biblical texts. One in First Peter 3, when, when Peter says, you need to be ready to give an answer when people ask you for the hope that you have. Um, but when you do that, do it with gentleness, courtesy, and respect. In other words, do it with a dose of humility and Frankly, given what he's already said in the first chapter of that epistle about God giving us our hope through the resurrection of Jesus, I imagine the answer he has in view is that. What's the reason for your hope? Because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now that, that may lead to debates Someone about, say, well, well, prove it. how do we know that yeah. he really rose from the dead? And, I mean, on that point, I, I would argue from my experience that it, it depends on whom we're talking to. I mean, there, sometimes we're talking with people who, who do have honest um, intellectual questions. And, and so where, where there are answers that would, that would help them at least understand the plausibility mm-hmm. of the gospel, well, then we meet them where they are. But most people that we talk to probably are not in that category. You know, unless your neighbor is a professor of philosophy at the university locally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we need to, to respond in a way that is friendly. And then I, I, I'm, I'm always amazed by this passage in Colossians 4, where, where Paul is asking the Colossians to pray that, that he will have ability to speak the gospel um, with clarity and, and boldness. And yet, when he says... Here's how you do it. He says you do it graciously, speech seasoned with salt. Um, I don't think he means salty in the way that we often <laughs> use salty. But, but, he, but he's saying, think about how yeah. you talk with the outsiders. Talk in a way that meets them where they are, that is respectful and kind and, and, and winsome. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, it's okay to be likable. Um, <laughs> we don't have to make ourselves out always to be the adversary and the protagonist mm-hmm. in an argumentative way. Mm-hmm. That's important, I mm-hmm. think. 
I find that some people, when they bring up an argument, all they want to know is, have you thought about this? Are you a thoughtful person? Um, who am I talking to when I'm talking to someone about my soul? Is it someone who's done their thinking? And, and furthermore, I think it's an opportunity for the evangelist to show deference and to say, you know, um, you have thought about this, and uh, I'll, I'll talk about that if you want, and I'll do my best. But it's, a, it's an opportunity just to uh, lay the groundwork for a relationship of trust. And I think once a person, I've got to be careful how I say this, we're not so concerned about being liked, but we do need to be Christ-like. And if someone is warm to us, they understand our heart, our motive, then they listen differently. Oh, and indeed. some of these straw men are just uh, pushed aside. Oh, and indeed that's true. I mean, it's, it's fair enough to say to someone, I, I understand why you might have that question. Mm -hmm. um, I think, for example, in our time and place, I, I think probably the, the most significant intellectual objection to biblical faith generally is the problem of evil. Mm -hmm. I mean, how can you really believe in a good and powerful God when this world is what it is? And it's okay to say, I, I get that. That's an understandable question. In fact, it, it's a high view of God that creates the question. Yeah. If you have a low view of God, like a finite God, who's not omnipotent, <laughs> well, it's not a real problem. Yeah. Because God's doing the best he can. So, I was, so I can say to such a person, it's, it's a high view of God that creates the problem. And in fact, some of the writers of the Bible wrestled with it. I mean, how, how is it, Lord, that you're letting things be the way they are? So it's an understandable question. I think there are, there are some answers mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that make this plausible, but, but it's okay to say to someone, I get that. That's, yeah. that's a fair question. What do you think about Paul addressing the Athenians where he says, I perceive that you're very religious. I don't know how complimentary he is, but he's certainly approaching this evangelistic encounter with less a prophetic edge and more of an um, Athenian, Greek, uh, dialectic approach. Uh, do you think that that's instructive for us? Well, I think so. I mean, it's, it's intriguing that he, he does begin by, by saying, I, I've looked at, at your idols, I've looked at at uh, stuff I see, I've looked at your one that's addressed to an unknown God, and I want, I want to tell you about that unknown God. So, and then eventually, I mean, he calls them to repent mm -hmm. for their idolatry and says, God's going to judge the whole world, calls you to repent. He's going to judge the world through the man he raised from the dead. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, in the, in the dialogue that we see in Acts 17, he, he quotes from... Uh, Greek writers, Greek, some Greek philosophers, poets. Um, so he meets them where they are. Mm -hmm. and, and it all began, of course, with him preaching Jesus and the resurrection. That's why they said, hey, come on up to the Areopagus Philosopher's Court. We've got to hear about this. But he met them where they were. Um, I, I think in, in my early Christian experience, I think what, what I, the teaching I got was along the lines of soul winning as opposed to evangelism or sharing your faith. And it was frankly very confrontational. Mm -hmm. It emphasized beginning with the bad news mm -hmm. rather than the good news. 
And, and it was all about kind of dumping the load rather than pushing the conversation forward. And I think I had to unlearn some of that and, and recognize it's okay to move the needle forward. A bit of a salesman approach, too. You mentioned yeah, that you were, you were literally a door-to-door salesman with, with a quota, and, and you, you had that experience. And I think in our Western mindset, uh, that's how many of us in evangelicalism, fundamentalism, have, have approached it. We need a sale here. And uh, if I can close this deal in 15 minutes, I'm a better salesman than you are. God help us for going down that road. Well, yes, indeed. Now, it's interesting. Some of the people in, in that subculture that emphasize the salesman approach, uh, friends of mine over the years have made disparaging comments about lifestyle evangelism. Mm-hmm. They've said, we're into soul winning, not lifestyle evangelism. Mm-hmm. Well, I know the guy who wrote the book mm-hmm. entitled Lifestyle Evangelism, Joe Aldrich. Uh, we were both students in Dallas Seminary at the same time. And he did not mean by that, and others don't mean by that, you, you only try to live a good life and hope that brings people to faith. You, you don't need to talk about the question of the gospel per se. He never meant that. What he meant was make evangelism a part of natural conversations mm-hmm. and, your, and your general lifestyle encounters with people. Create not, not Thursday night at 7 o'clock till right, 9. Right, you, you, you create opportunities along the way. You, you push the conversation forward. Um, you do cause people to ask questions, even as Peter talks about in First Peter 3. Now, I know that, I, I mean, I've sometimes seen people supposedly quote Francis of Assisi saying, um, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Well, number one, it's not clear that Francis ever said that. And number two, if he did, he's wrong. <laughs> because gospel is by definition good news. Mm-hmm. It's a message you, you communicate in words. So we have to communicate that. But we don't have to do it with a salesman approach that says, okay, I got 15 minutes here. I got to dump the whole load of the gospel. I got to call for immediate response now because this person might die tonight. I mean, all that's true. But we don't control all that. We only yeah. control the way we communicate. And I'm, I'm just struck by, uh, I'm struck by what Paul says in Colossians 4. Think about the way you talk mm-hmm. with those outsiders. Talk in a way that, that is seasoned with salt, that is gracious, that carries on the conversation. Now, if you're with a, a businessman, and I've heard them say this all, a lot, they say, just give me the, the elevator version. Just get to the point. What are you, well, okay, bad news, good news. And they ask for that, you know, and if that's how you respect their, um, their dialogue or whatever, then you can say, okay, here's the short version of it. And, uh, but, they, but because they've asked for it, you can go there. But generally speaking, people don't ask to be hammered. They say no. they want a conversation and go back and forth, and it takes time. That's true. And even, even the elevator version can be said in a way that assumes the bad news rather than hammering with, yeah. you're, a, you're mm-hmm. a miserable sinner. Mm-hmm. I can say, the good news is, God through Jesus Christ, through his atoning death and resurrection, offers us forgiveness for all our sins and the gift of his spirit and the hope of eternal life. Now that assumes 
sin and guilt, but it doesn't begin by hammering. I was also, as we were, t- as I anticipated talking about this, I thought, you know, when I, when I think about some of the preachers who have been really significantly used by God to reach a lot of people with the gospel in our day, I, I think of people like Rick Warren and Tim Keller, who are different personalities in many ways, and yet I realize both of them are very likable guys. Mm-hmm. And, and they're very much about conversing with people and not simply beating people over the head. Uh, they, they talk about contextualization, about understanding the people you're trying to reach. And, and they both agree, we have to challenge the idols of our cultural context, but we communicate in a way that people understand. And, and <laughs> as, I, as we said, I, I was a door-to-door salesman for two summers while I was a seminary student, but salesmen are, are not the most respected people mm-hmm. in our culture, probably, mm-hmm. are they? Yeah, I mean, they don't use that term. They're associates, sales associates, and so on. But Stan, I think that um, sometimes in our churches we give the impression that what they hear from the pulpit, which is a certain mode of speaking, there's confidence, there's volume, and says, well, that's how I got to be when I, when I talk to people. And I've had well-meaning people come to me and they try to live that way when they talk to their friends. They go into a preaching mode. Right. And Paul, Paul prayed for boldness, and so they think to be bold you've got to be rude or dismissive of people. And I think we need, as leaders, to really um, encourage people just to be yourself, who God has made you, love people. You'll find a way, if you love them, you'll find a way to give them good news. Oh, yeah, by all means. Um, I'm quite confident that when you talk to someone personally, (laughs) face-to-face, you don't communicate in exactly the same way you do on Sunday morning here. You're you're not kidding. (laughs) Now, I talk to my wife that way, but then she... Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's getting she, therapy uh, for that, I it's understand. A, it's a one-minute sermon, <laughs> and she shuts me down. Uh, but, you know, would it, wouldn't it be great if every believer understood that uh, they have a wonderful gift for people, they love people, uh, if they know what it means to be saved, then they know how to share faith with someone. I think sometimes we say, because I can't be this way, I guess I'm not uh, an evangelist. Well, Stan, um, we uh, need to wrap up this conversation. I don't know if you've got any last words before we go. No, I think we've said what needs to be said, actually. And I think we've said it in the right spirit. Thanks for listening to us here in uh, Thinking About It. God bless you, and have a wonderful day living out your faith. As you keep on thinking. Thank you. (laughs) 